I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On Commons People this week. The Parliamentary Party does have confidence. Theresa May wins a vote. But I think it is right that the party feels that it would prefer to go into that election with a new leader. But then pledges not to fight the 2022 election as leader. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost's politics podcast. I'm Ned Simons. Paul War is here. Hi, Paul. Hello, Ned. Rachel Wearmouth is here. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Ned. And we're joined by Conservative MP George Freeman. Hi, Hi George. Ned. Quiet week for you? Yeah, just another quiet week at the office. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, last night, Theresa May saw off uh, the leadership challenge. Um, Here's a quick clip of Sir Graham Brady um, announcing that she'd won the no-confidence vote. The result uh, of the ballot uh, held this evening is that the Parliamentary Party does have confidence. And then about half an hour ago, um, the Prime Minister arrived in Brussels and she confirmed in public, which was reportedly said in private, that she wouldn't fight the next election as leader. I've said that, you know, I, in my heart, I would love to be able to lead the uh, Conservative Party into the next general election. But I think it is right that the party feels that it would prefer to go into that election with a new leader. So, George, um, the Prime Minister won, won the vote. Do you think she emerged stronger, weaker? What's the kind of mood uh, around that this morning or this afternoon, rather, I should say? Oh, no doubt weaker. Uh, but I think that was inevitable. Mm. Um, look, I voted for the Prime Minister, although I have had many differences with her, um, uh, and I resigned from Number 10 last year as chair of her policy board because I felt that the very shrill, narrow, partisan focus on hard Brexit was A, wrong, and B, mm. damaging the government and my party in government. But I voted for her last night because I think whoever sees through Brexit um, will be finished by it. Right. And... I voted for her on the undertaking that when she's delivered the withdrawal agreement, uh, she will go. Mm. And listening to her say that and acknowledge that she will go was quite a moving moment. You know, Mm. uh, as always, when confronted by your peers, you admit that you failed. It's a pretty moving moment, actually. And I remember, George, actually, you you were one of the first out of the traps to even suggest this idea, weren't you, that she should predate her her, her exit, she should pre-announce it. And a lot of people at the time said, oh, don't be ridiculous, you can't have a lamed-up prime minister. And we've seen a bit of that today, haven't we? I mean, but do you think actually just the sheer reality, the brute reality of where she is means that she had no choice but to do that? Yes, I do. And I think that, you know, the the power shift that's gone on in the last 24 hours is... Well, it's partly still settling and taking shape, but to me it's this. Uh, She is weaker in terms of uh, her long-term future in the Conservative Party. Uh, She's less in the grip of the ERG, because remember Mm. it was the ERG, the hard Tory Brexiteers yesterday, who went for her, and it was moderates like me and others in the One Nation tradition who stood by her. And... So there's a power shift within the Conservative Party. And I think what that means for Brexit is that 
we will see the Prime Minister now, I hope, uh, pivot away from this very shrill sort of election message of Brexit is Tory, Tory is Brexit, we will win, mm. to a much more statesmanlike message of, listen, uh, this is a very, very difficult national emergency. The people have given us an inconvenient result in 2016. They want to leave the political union uh, on a 52-48 mandate, not overwhelming. And most of those who did want to leave don't want economic damage. Mm. So how do we do that? And I'm urging her to reach out across the House and say, I won't deliver a Brexit that every MP votes for. My job is to deliver a Brexit that the vast majority of people in this country can live with. And do you think there is a Brexit deal that she can get through the Commons that there's a majority for? Because often it seems there's not a majority for, for anything. And it's kind of complete deadlock. But do you, you think there is something she can kind of the centre? Yes, I think there are two or three possible options. Um, and um, your listeners may hold their heads in their hands when I say this, but we're only starting <laughs> the parliamentary <laughs> process of finding the solution. And by the end of this, people will wish Parliament wasn't televised, I think. I mean, this is going to be very ugly. I think the government will have to lose several votes. I think we're only in the foothills of the parliamentary manoeuvrings. And my prediction is that we will end up with a Brexit voted through at the last minute mm. by a cross-party alliance of MPs. The truth is, in the Labour Party, there are MPs with northern, particularly northern seats, who voted Brexit. There are I would even suggest to you the front bench of the Labour Party is mischievously posing as a Brexit party up north and a Remain party <laughs> down south and actually wants Brexit to go through on someone else's watch. Mm. And if I was the Prime Minister, I'd be saying, there's no hiding place here uh, and reach cross-party. I think there is a solution, whether it's this deal amended or Norway, um, the Norway option, EFTA. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, we should be in no doubt we are against the backdrop of no deal. And because I think Parliament will insist that that is unconscionable, that will switch at the last minute to a s second vote. And for those of your listeners who may be thinking, oh, great, you know, um, <laughs> I, I don't think it is great because as an elected MP with 76,000 voters, uh, although I was a Remainer, I fear that a second referendum may give us the same result, the opposite result or no result. And the only proper result will be trust in parliament and politics damaged, mm. more anger, more division. Uh, and I think the chances of us getting beyond this and getting back to sensible government will be reduced. Yeah. I, was, I was just going to say, do, do you think given the, the deadlock that there is going to be this national unity government that I, I think Nicky Morgan um, this week suggested that could be the case? Do you, do you agree? Well, I um, I think it's a possibility. I don't think it's likely, but I... I certainly think we could get a national unity Brexit. Right. And I could well imagine voting with Labour MPs, with Brexit constituencies. And if we can negotiate terms, um, I mean, I'd love to find a Brexit that every party has MPs voting for. And, um, you know, that's what happened last night, is this fantasy that a united Conservative Party, relying on eight DUP MPs is going to deliver some mm. centre-right Brexit that everyone likes that leads us on to victory. Died yesterday, completely died in Parliament. Um, and uh, I welcome it because I think it was always wrong, always flawed, always toxic and always likely to fail. And do you think as a result, George, that maybe the DUP um, confidence and supply deal, the PM should take control of that and say, look, I'm not going to let the tail wag the dog, uh, you know, 
you've done your worst now, it's over. I think, um, it, you know, what, one of the reasons I think this agreement is problematic is that it contains, I think, in it a, a very clever but nasty little trap devised by Monsieur Barnier and Leo Varadkar, which is, um, if your listeners can bear a French accent, okay, Britain, so you want to leave, but you want to stay. Uh, we can let you have continuity today. This is what you want. Huh? But freedom to diverge tomorrow, you know. But if you diverge, uh, we will put a, bar- a border between Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Good luck. <laughs> and I think on that basis, it is completely unacceptable to the DUP. And I think if I read the situation right, they and the Prime Minister have run out of trust uh, mm. on their side. They, so I, I think the result is, um, I, I mean, I hope we can find a form of wording for this agreement that doesn't light the fuse on Northern Ireland inexorably separating from Great Britain, not least because even if the people of Northern Ireland over the next 10, 20 years vote to be part of a united Ireland, which may well be the inevitable consequence of the peace agreement, the precedent for Scotland is very damaging. And I always feared that Brexit may well lead to the dismantling of the United Kingdom. Do you, if you mention you think a second referendum might now be more likely, do you think the chances of a, a kind of snap general election again, has that increased? over the last kind of 48 hours as a result of the, the challenge? No, uh, I think Parliament is um, very clear what it doesn't want and very unclear what it does want. That's part of the problem in this country mm. at the moment. Everyone is signalling desperately on Twitter what they don't want and very yeah. few people have solutions. And if I was to list the, the list of things you could get a majority for in Parliament that it doesn't want, yeah. uh, one is a general election, uh, two is uh, no deal, uh, three would be a hard Brexit, um, no, I don't think there's a mood for general election. I do think we will have one within a year. Um, right. it, it, I mean, I fatal to make predictions mm. at this stage. But if I was, I, I would predict uh, December, January, February, March will be uh, this crisis will continue. I'm afraid you guys are going to have to get some thermals <laughs> yeah. and, uh, prepared to camp out. Um, but at the end of it, I think there will be a Brexit, well, either a no deal Brexit c- carnage from which the governing party won't recover. And I think in that situation, one could see a general election in the spring, early summer, uh, which I fear Jeremy Corbyn would win. And would it be an election that you think Theresa May would lead the party into? Uh, she's ruled outstanding for the 2022, but she's left it open to the idea that she would... Well, I think that that is why even Conservative MPs who wanted a Canada or a WTO Brexit will end up voting to make sure that doesn't happen. Right. So um, I think more likely, uh, whether we get a deal or not, let's assume we get a deal. I think Theresa May, and she more or less said this last night, um, she will go whenever we tap her on the shoulder after March. And I think then what will and should happen is uh, Europeans will go off and have elections in in Europe. Mr Macron's got quite a lot on his plate. We will then have a proper Conservative leadership election. Uh, for a post-Brexit withdrawal, mm. new generation Conservative who can reunite this party, this country, set out the renewal programme that I've been working on and leading. Perhaps we'll talk about that later. And then I think uh, we'll get through the summer and then I think come back to Parliament in October and it'll be clear after about five days that there is no majority mm. and there will have to be a general election. Sorry to uh, gang up on you a little bit, George, but who do you want the candidates to be to replace Theresa May? Well, I voted against uh, a leadership election yesterday because I think um, 
it would be the equivalent of a premiership team with sort of five minutes to go, losing 2-1, announcing that it's time to sack the manager, change the board, uh, change the captain. And all of those may be sensible things to do, but it's a really bad time to do it with five minutes to go. What you need to do is get back on the pitch and score a goal. Um, now, I think in the summer, we will have a little bit of time and post-Brexit moment and space to frame this debate properly. What is this Conservative Party for? What are we about? Uh, how are we going to get back to a coherent vision of a post-Brexit withdrawal agenda that can, yes, deliver the roar of anger that fueled that Brexit vote, whilst reassuring the 48% who didn't want this, mm. and even more importantly, to my view, the younger voters, who I risk, I fear are being deeply disenfranchised by the whole process and the conduct. We need to come through that as a party with a younger leader, with a new generation spirit, a, a new generation message. And um, I think that is possible. There are some very good people around. And I think this process will be a clear out moment. I think in the party, our, our membership, let alone in the country, I think this summer will say it's time for a real change. And look, I've seen the Conservative Party in government in the 90s burnt out and completely incapable of doing anything other than arguing amongst itself with no energy. That's not the party I see now. Under David Cameron and in the last three years, a whole generation of new young MPs have arrived, bursting with talent and ideas and, and, and a sense of this country's future. And I think we need to hear from them. And would you give us some some names? Who would who would you tip? Would you stand yourself? Well, look, I think if it's um, uh, let's suppose we can get through to a summer moment where we can have this conversation. Um, Can't wait for summer already. <laughs> I think um, uh, you know there are people in the cabinet who are sufficiently untainted by all of this mess uh, who've proven themselves. I mean, I think the obvious people would be Sajid Javid, um, Penny Mordaunt. Dominic Raab. Uh, I mean, for your listeners who don't know them, I mean, Sajid Javid, um, I think, I mean, obviously, he would be an extraordinary moment for the Conservative Party, the first ever um, Muslim Conservative mm. Party leader, son of a immigrant and a bus driver who's made it the hard way. And um, that's an impressive story in itself. But I think more impressive, his handling at the Home Office, the decisiveness with which he addressed the Windrush uh, problem, the way he working with me addressed the cannabis issue. I think he's brought a clarity and a decisiveness to it. I've worked with him as a minister. Um, I think Penny Mordaunt is, you know, she voted for Brexit, which in the Conservative Party is helpful. She's uh, ex-armed forces. She speaks very powerfully. She's very strong on the soul of modern politics. And I think Dominic Raab, um, in a party that is largely in the country um, wanting to see Brexit, delivered and espoused by somebody who really believes in it, then I'm sure Dominic would have a, a message. But I think there are people outside of cabinet as well. And I'd like to see in the summer a leadership election where, you know, 10 people stand with a, a whole festival of mm. conservative <laughs> Almost ideas. like your it. festival. <laughs> <laughs> Big tent festival. You could, you could have a sort of dry run. Can you, you could bring it forward in the year. Well, it's funny you should say that, but um, <laughs> this year our Big Tent Festival is going to be in uh, late June. Oh. Uh, it's not a party political event. It's fantastic that we have Labour and Liberal Democrat and all parties and no parties there. And I think modern politics involves getting out of the comfort zone and being able to have the confidence 
to bring in people who disagree with you and debate with them. And this year's festival in Cambridge was fantastic for that reason. And yeah, if there's a Conservative leadership election, I would be inviting all the candidates to come and <laughs> sing for their supper and demonstrate the confidence, the conviction, the courage, uh, and the generosity of a new generation conservatism. Yeah. I think uh, we've got time for a quiz. Yeah, perfect. Um, so I warn you, it's it's really bad. So um, <laughs> they're always bad. <laughs> so um, that's their unique selling yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. So May won last night with uh, two hundred in her favour, one hundred and seventeen against. That's sixty three percent. So it's a quiz about Tory leadership ballots. Right now, I know they're I not know comparable necessarily because of different rules and sort of different. You know, yeah. they work in different ways. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to... I'm not hey, googling. I'm, not googling. I'm yeah, just yeah, making yeah. sure someone's not ringing me. <laughs> <laughs> Got to make sure he's uh, not cheating. So I'm going to give you kind of uh, the winning candidate in a Tory leadership ballot on the, with the last ballot. So yeah. say there was three rounds, yeah, yeah, yeah. it'll be the last okay. one that happened. I just want to tell you, did the winning candidate get more than 63%? Oh, right. So this isn't votes of confidence. This is leadership. It's leadership. Votes, it's leadership's it? not, not okay. votes of no confidence. Okay. But it's sort of connected right, yeah, yeah, loosely. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... For example, um, in the f- in the first and only ballot in 1989, Margaret Thatcher won. 1990. Yep, just can't really read closely on my thing. Ah, dear, he always gets he's me good. with my flaws. He's good. Hopefully, he's not, you're not going to win now, Paul. I was alive at the you. time, yeah. like a lot of people so, uh, in my office. <laughs> did she win with more or less than 63%? I'm going to go more. She won with less because I'm pretty sure Michael Hesseltown was 41 and I think she was, that would have made her 59. Is that He's right? He's like a computer. Is that right? <laughs> Sorry, it's the question well, that did Theresa May yesterday win so with no, more or so less than Margaret Thatcher in that round? Is that the question? In the first ballot, I'm talking about the 1989 leadership. Nin- yeah, 1990 election, leadership, yeah. Thatcher won on the first ballot. Yeah. Did she win with more than 63%? Less. 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 Definitely less. Well, according to this IFG oh. chart I've got, it says she won with more. What? She has a problem with 84%. Now, this of is what? the IFG. I'll show you Haven't the... You got a oh, no, I know, wh- no, I know why. I know why. This is this is because this is um, Sir Anthony Mayer's challenge in 89 exactly. rather yeah. than 1990. Oh, so I, was, I was told I had the wrong year. Sorry. It turns out <laughs> that I'm go. being utterly You're right, unfairly... Right, right. right. Well, that one we're, we're scrapping. <laughs> we'll do another one. 1995, John Major against Redwood. Did John Major get more than 63% or less than 63%? Pull first. I think Major got... Uh, I think John Redwood got something like 26 or 27%. So, yeah, Major would have got more. I think Major got more. Rachel? I agree, yeah. He did, but just, he got 66. Ah, right. So almost the same. Right. Okay, in 2001, Ian Duncan-Smith, uh, members ballot this is, beat Clark. Yeah. Was it more or less? In the members? Yeah, which was the final round, obviously. Uh, Among members, wasn't it more? Because it did, wasn't it? A big victory. Uh, let's see. I think it would, I think he had won quite comprehensively, didn't he? IDS against Clarkey. But, mm, more or less? Mm, I think he got more. George say says more. I'm going to say less. Less for Paul, Rachel? Less than 63. I've said more. Uh, less, but 61. Ooh. So, pretty close. Okay, uh, David Cameron, 2005. Against, against David, David Davis. Davis. I'm going to go less than. <coughs> that was Rich, very close, wasn't I it? think mm. I'm going to go less than 63. I thought, David, I thought uh, David Davis lost by, I mean, almost a room full of votes. It was incredibly close. I 
can't remember. It's less well, than 63. You say that. Oh. It's not. 68% he won with. Wow. So it's actually more than... That's really mm. interesting. Yeah. Okay, let's do one more. Um, in 1975, this is Thatcher again, she won. Was it by more than 63% or oh, less? Crikey. Oh, less. I'm sure that was That must have been tight. Close, wasn't that it? must have been close. I'm going to say less. Rachel? Less? I can't remember who she was up against. Against Whitelaw. And yeah, ah. less. 52% she won by, which was very close. <gasps> what a close. great statistic. She was the 52, he was the 48. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thatcher versus Whitelaw. Still divided. Okay. And every government needs a willy. <laughs> but of course, that was in opposition. And yeah. for your listeners who weren't around in the 1970s. They I mean, certainly weren't. You know, she <laughs> was the me. insurgent um, yes. with a very insurgent message that the Conservative Party had to change, that we were going down the gurgler, that we needed a new energy. So it's a bit different. She wasn't uh, an incumbent prime minister in an unhappy yeah. time. She was the insurgent. Yeah. Maybe a lesson for the next leadership. Yeah. yeah. As you say, new, new generation. Well, uh, I think we'll leave now uh, on a nice clip of, this is Andrew Bridgen, Tory MP, um, walking out of a BBC interview yesterday because he didn't want to speak directly to James Clevery, another Tory MP. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 I'm going to talk to your colleague now, uh, James Cleverly. He's a Conservative MP. He's a vice chair of the Conservative Party. I gather that you don't necessarily want to talk to each other, so if you need to go... No, Mr. I know. Are no, you no. happy to? I'll, I'll, I'll go. That's fine. OK. All right. Mr Cleverly, do, do, do join us. Good morning to you. You can step in if you like. Yeah, fine. I'm happy to. 